Chapter 29 of Pushing to the Front by Horizon Sweat Marden. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Luke Sartor. Chapter 29 Observation as a Success Factor. Henry Ward Beecher was not so foolish as to think that he could get on without systematic study and a thoroughgoing knowledge of the world of books. When I first went to Brooklyn, he said, men doubted whether I could sustain myself. I replied, give me uninterrupted time till nine o'clock every morning, and I do not care what comes after. He was a hard student during four hours every morning. Those who saw him after that imagined that he picked up the material for his sermons on the street. Yet, having said so much, it is true that much that was most vital in his preaching he did not pick up on the street. Where does Mr. Beecher get his sermons? Every ambitious young clergyman in the country was asking, and upon one occasion he answered, I keep my eyes open and ask questions. This is the secret of many a man's success, keeping his eyes open and asking questions. Although Beecher was an omnivorous reader, he did not care much for the writings of the theologians. The Christ was his great model, and he knew that he did not search the writings of the Sanhedrin for his sermons, but picked them up as he walked along the banks of the Jordan and over the hills, and through the meadows and villages of Galilee. He saw that the strength of this great master's sermons was in their utter simplicity, their naturalness. Beecher's sermons were very simple, healthy, and strong. They pulsated with life. They had the vigor of bright red blood in them, because, like Christ's, they grew out of doors. He got them everywhere from life and nature. He picked them up in the marketplace, on Wall Street, in the stores. He got them from the brakeman, the mechanic, the blacksmith, the day laborer, the newsboy, the train conductor, the clerk, the lawyer, the physician, and the businessman. He did not watch the progress of the great human battle from his study as many did. He went into the thick of the fight himself. He was in the smoke and din, where the battle of life raged fiercest. There he was, studying its great problems. Now it was the problem of slavery, again the problem of government, or commerce, or education, whatever touched the lives of men. He kept his hand upon the pulse of events, he was in the swim of things. The great, busy, ambitious world was everywhere throbbing for him. When he once got a taste of the power and helpfulness which comes from the study of real life, when he saw how much more forceful and interesting actual life stories were as they were being lived than anything he could get out of any book except the Bible, he was never again satisfied without illustrations fresh from the lives of the people he met every day. Beecher believed a sermon a failure 
when it does not make a great mass of hearers go away with a new determination to make a little more of themselves, to do their work a little better, to be a little more conscientious, a little more helpful, a little more determined, to do their share in the world. This great observer was not only a student of human nature, but of all nature as well. I watched him many a time, completely absorbed in drinking in the beauties of the marvellous landscape, gathering grandeur and sublimity from the great white mountains which he loved so well, and where he spent many summers. He always preached on Sunday at the hotel where he stayed, and great crowds came from every direction to hear him. There was something in his sermons that appealed to the best in everyone who heard him. They were full of pictures, of beautiful landscapes, seascapes, and entrancing sunsets. The clouds, the rain, the sunshine, and the storm were reflected in them. The flowers, the fields, the brooks, the record of creation imprinted in the rocks and the mountains were intermingled with the ferry boats, the steam cars, orphans, calamities, accidents, all sorts of experiences and bits of life. Happiness and sunshine, birds and trees alternated with the direst poverty in the slums, people on sick beds and deathbeds, in hospitals and in funeral processions, life pictures of successes and failures, of the discouraged, the despondent, the cheerful, the optimist and the pessimist, passed in quick succession and stamped themselves on the brains of his eager hearers. Wherever he went, Beecher continued his study of life through observation. Nothing else was half so interesting. To him, man was the greatest study in the world. To place the right values upon men, to emphasize the right thing in them, to be able to discriminate between the genuine and the false, to be able to pierce their masks and read the real man or woman behind them, he regarded as one of a clergyman's greatest accomplishments. Like Professor Agassiz, who could see wonders in the scale of a fish or a grain of sand, Beecher had an eye like the glass of a microscope, which reveals marvels of beauty in common things. He could see beauty and harmony where others saw only ugliness and discord, because he read the hidden meaning in things. Like Ruskin, he could see the marvelous philosophy, the divine plan, in the lowliest object. He could feel the divine presence in all created things. An exhaustive observation, says Herbert Spencer, is an element of all great success. There is no position in life where a trained eye cannot be made a great success asset. Let's leave it to Osler, said the physicians at a consultation where a precious life hung by a thread. Then the great Johns Hopkins professor examined the patient. He did not ask questions. 
his experienced eye drew a conclusion from the slightest evidence. He watched the patient closely, his manner of breathing, the appearance of the eye. Everything was a tell-tale of the patient's condition, which he read as an open book. He saw symptoms which others could not see. He recommended a certain operation, which was performed, and the patient recovered. The majority of those present disagreed with him, but such was their confidence in his power to diagnose a case through symptoms and indications which escape most physicians that they were willing to leave the whole decision to him. Professor Rosler was called a living X-ray machine, with additional eyes in fingertips so familiar with the anatomy that they could detect a growth or displacement so small that it would escape ordinary notice. The power which inheres in a trained faculty of observation is priceless. The education which Beecher got through observation, by keeping his eyes, his ears, and his mind open, meant a great deal more to him and to the world than his college education. He was not a great scholar. He did not stand nearly as high in college as some of his classmates, whom he far outstripped in life, but his mind penetrated to the heart of things. Lincoln was another remarkable example of the possibilities of an education through reflection upon what he observed. His mind stopped and questioned, and extracted the meaning of everything that came within its range. Wherever he went, there was a great interrogation point before him. Everything he saw must give up its secret before he would let it go. He had a passion for knowledge. He yearned to know the meaning of things, the philosophy underlying the common everyday occurrences. Ruskin says, Hundreds of people can talk for one who can think, but thousands can think for one who can see. I once travelled abroad with two young men, one of whom was all eyes. Nothing seemed to escape him, and the other never saw anything. The day after leaving a city, the latter could scarcely recall anything of interest. While the former had a genius for absorbing knowledge of every kind through the eye, things so trivial that his companion did not notice them at all meant a great deal to him. He was a poor student, but he brought home rich treasures from over the sea. The other young man was comparatively rich, and brought home almost nothing of value. When visiting Luther Burbank, the wizard horticulturalist, in his famous garden recently, I was much impressed by his marvellous power of seeing things. He had observed the habits of fruits and flowers to such purpose that he has performed miracles in the fields of floriculture and horticulture. Stunted and ugly flowers and fruits, under the eye of this miracle worker, become marvels of beauty. George W. Cortelieu was a stenographer not long ago. Many people thought he would remain a stenographer, but he always kept his eyes open. He was after an opportunity. Promotion was always staring him in the face. He was always looking for the next step above him. He was a shrewd observer. 
but for this power of seeing things quickly of absorbing knowledge he would never have advanced the youth who would get on must keep his eyes open his ears open his mind open he must be quick alert ready i know a young turk who has been in this country only a year yet he speaks our language fluently he has studied the map of our country he knows its geography and a great deal of our history and much about our resources and opportunities he said that when he landed in new york it seemed to him that he saw more opportunities in walking every block of our streets than he had ever seen in the whole of turkey and he could not understand the lethargy the lack of ambition the indifference of our young men to our marvellous possibilities the efficient man is always growing he is always accumulating knowledge of every kind he does not merely look with his eyes he sees with them he keeps his ears open he keeps his mind open to all that is new and fresh and helpful the majority of people do not see things they just look at them the power of keen observation is indicative of a superior mentality for it is the mind not the optic nerve that really sees most people are too lazy mentally to see things carefully close observation is a powerful mental process the mind is all the time working over the material which the eye brings it considering forming opinions estimating weighing balancing calculating careless indifferent observation does not go back of the eye if the mind is not focused the image is not clean-cut and is not carried with force and distinctness enough to the brain to enable it to get at the truth and to draw accurate conclusions the observing faculty is particularly susceptible to culture and is capable of becoming a mighty power few people realize what a tremendous success and happiness is possible through the medium of the eye the telegraph the sewing machine the telephone the telescope the miracles of electricity in fact every great invention of the past or present every triumph of modern labor-saving machinery every discovery in science and art is due to the trained power of seeing things the whole secret of a richly stored mind is alertness sharp keen attention and thoughtfulness indifference apathy mental lassitude and laziness are fatal to all effective observation it does not take long to develop a habit of attention that seizes the salient points of things it is a splendid drill for children to send them out on the street or out of doors anywhere just for the purpose of finding out how many things they can see at a certain given time and how closely they can observe them just the effort to try to see how much they can remember and bring back is a splendid drill children often become passionately fond of this exercise and it becomes of inestimable value in their lives other things equal 
it is the keen observer who gets ahead. Go into a place of business with the eye of an eagle. Let nothing escape you. Ask yourself why it is that the proprietor at fifty or sixty years of age is conducting a business which a boy of eighteen or twenty ought to be able to handle better. Study his employees. Analyze the situation. You will find, perhaps, that he never knew the value of good manners in clerks. He thought a boy, if honest, would make a good salesman, but perhaps, by gruff, uncouth manners, he is driving out of the door customers the proprietor is trying to bring in by advertisements. You will see by his show windows, perhaps, before you go into his store, that there is no business insight, no detection of the wants of possible buyers. If you keep your eyes open, you can, in a little while, find out why this man is not a greater success. You can see that a little more knowledge of human nature would have revolutionized his whole business, multiplied his receipts tenfold in a few years. You will see that this man has not studied men. He does not know them. No matter where you go, study the situation. Think why the man does not do better if he is not doing well. Why he remains in mediocrity all his life. If he is making a remarkable success, try to find out why. Keep your eyes open your ears open, make deductions from what you see and hear, trace difficulties, look up evidences of success or failure everywhere. It will be one of the greatest factors in your own success. End of chapter 29 Observation as a Success Factor Recording by Luke Sartor, Brisbane, Queensland.